0: Well, good morning, nice to be here again, Uh, so humbling to get up here, and so wonderful to have brothers like Mr. Reiselberg turn around and go, let me pray for you right now, brother, and uh, faithful brothers and sisters from this and other congregations, praying for you when they know that you are not used to this, and you get the wonderful, terrifying exciting blessing of being able to preach the Word of God. Uh, Thanks to all of you who pray for your pastors and your elders. We really appreciate that. We need that each and every week. Uh, Thanks especially for those of you who have uh, prayed for the Casanelli family uh, in times of struggle and toil and sorrow and rejoicing as we get to bask in God's grace. Not that anything's happened recently, don't Don't be afeared, but but rather, that's what today's message is about, and I wanted you to know how grateful and how dependent we are upon your faithful prayers. So trials and afflictions of different kinds, and how we are to see joy in Christ through these trials and afflictions, that's what today's message is about. And by the way, you can find today's text on uh, the front of your bulletins, as you know, uh, but I'm going to be reading more than just the text that's printed. So if you will turn in your Bibles right now, make sure you're at First Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 3. We're going to read that together in a moment, or in a few moments. And also, in the church Bibles that you find in front of your seats, that's going to be on page 953. So if you'll turn there, and just be ready. I'm going to be giving you quite a few scripture references. Because I think that with a text like this today where it comes into controversy in the church, you need to have God's word to back it up and not paraphrase either. So uh, I'm going to be going through those fairly quickly later on. And so if you're just prepared to jot those down uh, so that you can have a healthy exhortation for later on when you look those up and read those leftovers, so to speak. Uh, And I'd like to always uh, also encourage uh, you men to put away your phone's uh, unless that's the only device you've brought to, to read on today and to be encouraged not to look at the scores of the, uh, of the local games that are going on. And also, uh, and if you got a tablet, I get that. I have eye trouble. I love reading off my tablet. But pull out your Bibles if you've got them. <clears throat> In case you want to have a healthy debate about anything I preach up here, since I miss all the men's breakfasts, feel free to email me later at Greg Eric Bowser at that's all one word at (laughs) nowhere.net sorry for you outsiders that's an inside joke those are the names of all of our other pastors combined so before I get started we need to pray need to pray because we need the Holy Spirit's help to preach the word nobody who gets up here wants to get up here alone and we need the Holy Spirit's help to receive the word to open our spiritual eyes and our ears. Uh, Romans 10 says that God's word preached to us is how we get saved. That's what he uses to open up our hearts to faith. So let's pray. Father God, for the gathering of the saints here, we praise you. We thank you. Pray that your Holy Spirit would cause me to deliver the word in truth and in passion Pray that the Holy Spirit would open up the listener's ears, that the congregation of believers would be properly exhorted, shepherded, and that the hearts of the unbeliever would be opened for the very first time, causing he or she to be saved. In the name of Christ I do pray. Amen. When I began preaching to you over a year ago uh, from the apostle, excuse me, from the apostle Peter's first epistle. We came to the conclusion by the word of God, which is what Peter pens, that those who are born again of God are now exiles in this world. They're aliens. They're from a foreign land now. Their home is heaven, and they're here on earth, and they're to set the example of Christ by living holy lives instead of the example of our earthly parents who live godly lives. Excuse me, who live worldly lives. So we're to act in a holy manner. In the following message from the epistle, we looked at why we are no longer of this world. It is because through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God reconciled the believer to himself by giving the believer new life. And Peter called this born again to a living hope. We have new life. We have new hearts. We have God's spirit living inside of us. And I preached that the living hope was not like the hope of the world where we hope for something that is something temporal, but rather we have hope in someone, and that someone is Jesus Christ. We have hope in Christ. We have hope because we have new life. And that new life with God's Spirit living inside of us helps us to live pure and holy lives In the next message from 1 Peter, we learned how our new and living hope is being called an inheritance from the Father above, not an inheritance like an earthly inheritance that is left to you out of worldly affection from a friend or family member, something that blesses you with temporal blessings, but an inheritance that's left because of God, a holy inheritance something that cannot be contested by a worldly judge in some court. As a matter of fact, the scripture says your inheritance is your final salvation revealed to you at the resurrection of your physical body to a heavenly body and is being guarded by God himself through faith. It's the very thought of this new life, this holy inheritance to a new glorified body, that helps us to view the challenges that i'm going to present to you today in your text the promise of the verses in first peter chapter 1 verses 6 to 9 they just they're challenging to us you're going to see that you're going to you're going to feel it you know it already i've got my examples from you as a congregation so we're going to take time to read that that whole passage now. We're going to take time, and we're going to read it together out loud. So we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9, so that the person who is hearing this message for the first time can connect the text all together. So if you'll turn there now, and I would especially like to hear the kids ages 6 to 12, and especially new graduates read out loud, really loud, the passages from 6 to 9 when we get there. So, especially loud, 6 to 9, kids. Looks like you guys are already there. So, we're going to read aloud together. Here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope of Jesus Christ. We're almost there kids. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. Great reading, kids. Hope I didn't go too fast for you. I went too fast for myself. So in preaching today's text to you, I wish to be able to ask ask and answer the following questions. Number one, what is Peter trying to do for the faithful listener to his text? What are we to learn from the whole text? Number two, must every Christian... Even modern-day Christians go through various trials, must we? Number three, are the trials spoken of in Peter's epistle from God? And I want to I expand that. Are all of our trials from God as a Christian? Number four, how should the modern-day Christian find joy in the midst of of his or her trials, however severe. So in answer to my first question, what's the text trying to tell us? We're just going to break it down together. So here, Peter has already given us that fuel for our spiritual fire in verses uh, 3 through 5. He's told us we're born again, and we have that Holy Spirit power inside of our heart, and now he's going to start to exhort us as to what we should do as we walk through the earthly life as a Christian, as both a mature and a brand new born-again Christian. So I'm going to stop right here and just take verse 6 a little piece at a time. First, in this you rejoice. Okay, so we rejoice in what? We rejoice in the fact that we're born again to a new and living hope and that we have this new inheritance, the resurrection of our physical bodies to a new and perfect spiritual body someday down the road. And then next, though now for a little while, Peter's referring to the time period starting when you become a Christian until the last breath you take. This is not a verse, though it's been contested, by other commentators that says, you're going to go uh, through a trial for a little while, but then you're going to be okay here on earth. This is not saying that at all. This is saying that for the rest of your Christian life, you will go through various trials. And the apostles, they talk like this. John, in talking about when the Antichrist was going to come, he said, this is the last hour. He was referring to the time of Jesus' resurrection till the last day of earth as we know it. Then we see in the verse, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And that's the heart of today's message. You have been grieved by various trials. If necessary, that's Peter's way of saying it will be necessary from time to time for God to grieve you with various trials. And you're going to find out that's different for everyone. Some people's trials last from the day they start until the day they take their last breath. So, if necessary, is referring to the fact that God, it's part of God's will for you to go through various trials. The word various, of course, means different kinds, and it's also referring to the word many. As a matter of fact, the King James Version uses manifold temptations to describe the phrase various trials. Temptations there, referring to the fact that these trials could draw us away from the faith And cause us to lose faith. That's how bad some of these trials can get. Take heart. This is going to get encouraging. (laughs) To be grieved here, as in many other places in the scripture, means to be made physically, spiritually, emotionally, all three in some cases, downcast. You are grieved. You're depressed. You're Wounded physically. Afflicted is the same word we use to say grieved. In this case, by a source outside your own self. And we're going to find out that 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 source is God. In both the time that Peter wrote this epistle and in our own time, these trials were referring to both local and mass persecution Of Christians just for being in the faith. So mass persecution would look something like, uh, well we believe Peter was not quite imprisoned yet when he wrote this epistle. Okay, I'm on that side of the fence. There are other commentators that believe he was imprisoned already, but he was going to be executed and he knew that already whether he was in prison or not. So he was talking to people who were being persecuted. But he says here, various and many trials. So he's not just referring to persecution, but we do see that, that in his time, actually two million Jewish converts to Christianity and those who would be converts that were sheltering them were hung on crosses and burned alive. Lighting the way from Jerusalem out to the countryside by the Romans. And this might have been after Peter's execution, and it might have been during. We do not know. But he saw them being persecuted. But there were many trials, and there are many trials for us. These trials and afflictions also include having to fight our sinful habits. So these are trials of the heart. Having to fight our sinful habits. We know that some of us as sanctification, part of our sanctification. All of these trials are part. We, we see that we have trials such as sickness and disease. Trials of sickness and disease. These are part of our trials. We see other trials of the heart besides fighting sinfulness. Perhaps you will never be afflicted with a disease or a sickness, but your child will, or your brother, or your sister, or your mother, your father. Believers or not. These are going to deeply affect us in our humanness, and I would say especially in our Christianity. It doesn't necessarily make you cold-hearted, and shouldn't, to become a Christian. Your heart should be more tenderized. You should be wanting to weep with or for a brother or sister. That may be your trial. Tragedy. God uses tragedy in our lives. Tragic events as trials. Accidents. Accidents that cause death of a family member or friend or even the death of the person being afflicted going through the trial. We've heard of this. We've read newspaper accounts and seen on the news how a person was just, well, the news calls them a saint. We think of everybody who's a born-again believer as a saint, but people who everyone knew as a loving, giving, generous believer, and all of a sudden they're whisked away from this earth in a car accident, or by a disease, or possibly the victim of a crime. So that person is gone to glory, maybe as part of their earthly sanctification, but what about the people that are left behind? The people that are left behind, these become their trials. They grieve. They either don't understand why this could happen to such a person. If they're a believer, And they're a mature believer in the word. They know this is part of God's sanctification of this. But if they're not, they're left with the question, why, God? Why would you let this happen? Or perhaps they're so stricken as a mature believer, God, why would you cause this to happen? So these are all part of our trials. There are spiritual disciplines from God such as chastisement, so I'm going to define that for you today. This is a form of sanctification that results in God disciplining a Christian for his sins inside or outside of the church. It could be a form of chastisement that happens before they become born again, God directing them towards Christianity and the faith. Your pastor that stands before you, the stubborn fool of the days of old, and he okay, this is what I'm going to do to get you to my son. I'm going to cause some things to happen that are going to be strictly disciplining to your physical body and your mind. Um, Perhaps somebody inside the church, we know they're a born-again believer. They've been walking in the faith, walking in the truth and in the light, and then all of a sudden they perform some kind of a sin that just takes them down. And so they get disciplined by God through the church or through some physical thing. Sometimes God sends trials, grievous trials, to the most faithful of families. And in case you're asking why, now we're going to go right to verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, in glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, or the revelation of Jesus Christ here being, remember, that final salvation that's revealed to you on the day when your body is reunited to your spirit. God wants to prove your faithfulness. He wants to show it to be genuine. And your reward? You receive praise, glory, and honor, along with Christ. When at last he reveals your final salvation, as spoken of in verse 5. Praise and glory and honor. Did you hear that? If you had to read this close, if you're a reformed believer, you know that we are to give all praise and all glory and honor to God while we're here on earth. You don't glorify yourself. You don't make yourself out to be proud anymore. God is stripping your pride away from you. He exalts the humbled and humbles the proud. But here it says that we're to receive praise and glory and honor. We don't know what that looks like, not not completely. And we don't want to start puffing ourselves up with the thought, but we do want to revel in the thought. We do want to find some joy in that thought. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. Though you do not now see him, You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And there's the the meat and potatoes also of today's text. Some of these trials we're going to read about. How can we find inexpressible joy in the midst of this? Here in in verse 8. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice. It's a statement of pure faith. In the New Testament, or I should say in the New Covenant, our faith is strong. If you're a believer, your faith is is even stronger than Old Testament patriarchs. Not because you had that in and of yourself, but because God has made you born again and you have your new and living hope. You have his Holy Spirit living inside of you. So he instills the faith into us. So we believe in Jesus Christ, even though we've never laid eyes on him. And this belief in Christ should cause us to rejoice. John Calvin says, it would be better that we express the words, leave it up to John Calvin to change the scripture words around, to exalt ye or rejoice you instead of now you rejoice. He says it should say, now rejoice as though your heart has been commanded by the Holy Spirit to rejoice because of your new life given to you. A kind of rejoicing that should allow you to rejoice even in the midst of sorrow and pain. A life. And then when this is all ended, we believe, and in verse 9, we obtain the outcome of this faith which is salvation, a life with no more trials filled with pain, tragedy, and disease, but mostly a life of peace with God, no more struggles with sinful behavior because of that, a life of glory and honor of, and praise. We sometimes really want to focus on the fact that we're going to have no more pain, no more sickness, and no more sorrow, but hopefully we get to experience And realize, before we take our last breath, that it's more important to think of a life walking with God. The same city streets, walking with Christ. No more temple, because God is the temple. No more need for the sun, because God is the light. Think about that. I had the, the wonderful, beautiful experience of watching a saint this week. As she prepared for her final hour, she was wasted away to nothing, maybe 70 pounds. She had lost her husband back in September, and she knew that she was soon to go. And while I was in the room with her, she was praising God as she was forgetting the things that were going on around her due to lack of oxygen. She had congestive heart failure. She was on breathing, and she was praising God for our relationship, the relationship she and I had developed just because of Christ. And just to see that, knowing how how badly she was suffering, she refused to take food, and she was praising God. And she was hoping as we prayed together, you could tell that that was going to be it. She paused for a minute, and it was though she was saying, am I gone yet, Lord? Are you going to take me? I swear to you, that's what I think, she thought. Okay, now that we've broken down the text, I'd like to ask the next pointed question. Let's bring the text to modern day, to you, and ask Does every Christian, even in our day, have to go through various trials? Well, we've already answered that question when I was going through the passages. The answer is yes. Every Christian. Every Christian but I really wanted to bring it all home to you today. I wanted to make it personal. First, I'm going to quote some scriptures, and then, um, and then I'm going to use some examples from the CCB, and some of them are pretty dramatic and detailed, so I've obtained permission. I'm not going to name any names, but perhaps you'll know. First, in Acts 14, the disciples of Christ, remember we're trying to answer the question, does every Christian, even in our day, have to go through various trials. In Acts 14:22, the disciples of Christ went from city to city, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Remember, this is the beginning of the church in Acts. This is the first formation of the house churches getting away from the Jewish temple as the center focus of worship and and focusing God through the Christ. And here they are teaching the teachings that become Scripture and Scripture for us to read here today. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. From Romans 8, 16 to 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children than heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And now some promised examples. I think this first example includes chastisement, disease, tragedy, everything but persecution. So amongst you this day is one who, because of his foolishness in his past life, God saw fit that he fell two stories onto the concrete, crushing his spine. He lives in significant pain 365 days a year, and some days does not even want to get out of bed. In the first year of his marriage, also immediately following his new birth into Christ, he lost his career job, also due to past foolishness, even though he was then born again, it all caught up with him. This is chastisement. His wife's sister tragically died in the middle of the night in the first year of the marriage, and this is in a family that was super tight. There was no space between them. Believer, non-believer, one of these loving families that did everything for and with each other. And also, his new stepdaughter, whom he loved as a daughter, just suffered tragically from the loss of her aunt with mental anguish and went through a couple years of really heavy trials. This family has endured cancer, years which contained the multiple deaths of family, loved ones, friends, and constituents through tragedy, disease, and foolishness, and the near death of their own newborn son who now sits amongst you also. This family boldly proclaims the Christ and his providence in all of this. Disease and health issues. Amongst you sits one who's confined to her chair due to a stroke. She struggles to make it through even one worship service due to atrophy. She can't leave her chair or her bed 24 hours a day, but demands to be with you here, worshiping her God who she proclaims every time I see her. She knows her trials from God. There also sits amongst you a young woman whom we almost lost to cancer. She's full of youth and vitality to look at her, yet that was almost taken from her. She not only openly, boldly proclaims the Christ as her Savior, but that she clearly sees God's providence in her affliction. Her husband wishes for me to add, That even as they began their trial, they began it in faithlessness. But God proved himself to be faithful, even when they were faithless in thought. And it changed their hearts into knowing that this is from God. That's faith, people. That's faith. Sitting amongst you, as often he's able to attend, is a brother whose life is spent largely at the dialysis clinic. That man wants you to know that he thanks God for his affliction. That's faith. And his wife, what about her? She struggles in knowing how to care for him. Amongst you sits a woman who in the third year of their marriage, I think I got that right. You can correct me later on, sister, if I'm wrong. To a man who served in the U.S. Marine Corps, got that phone call that no military wife wants to receive. I am sorry. Her husband was critically wounded and after years of physical therapy and 24-hour medical care, he's still confined to his chair. doesn't really speak in full sentences. And I know if you hear this, brother, that I'm not slighting you at all. And although he's made dramatic advancements compared to his original prognosis, that he wouldn't make it through the first week, he's severely disabled compared to you and I. Yet he proclaims his love for his God in Christ Jesus, and for his wife. What about that wife? What is her trial? It's him. It's him. And though he has no short-term memory and cannot live in the same home as she due to needing 24-hour medical care, she's dedicated her life to assisting with this care and to constant visitations. Included in those visitations is the reading and the word of God and the study, the end result of which is the fact that he and she now both believe that it was this severe injury, this explosion during combat that brought him to his salvation. I can tell you as God is my witness that neither is bitter about God's sanctification of him. By the way, their comments on Facebook lead me to believe they have no lack of romance in their hearts for each other. There are those here who struggle with persecution on the job. There are men and women with depression, who are struggling with mental illness amongst family members and the mental torment of having the unsaved amongst their immediate family. Parents who struggle with the plights and disabilities of their children and a multitude of legitimate medical complaints. All of these are here, and that's only 200 or so Christians. That's only 200 or so of the believers. This is actually allergies, not from just weeping. As Pastor Eric said to me on the phone the other day, nobody escapes unscathed. All these challenges are put in our way in a way that could result to us turning away from the faith to look for other options in order to soothe our hearts from our earthly troubles, or as we now know, our earthly sanctification, to never looking to God at all. And if that be the case, we should consider the alternative. If you're in this room and you're thinking, this can't be the answer. This can't be the answer. We should consider the alternative. A life away from Christ, a life away from God, a life which includes what the Bible calls weeping and gnashing of teeth and an eternity in bondage, gloominess, in chains, and with no rest from that punishment. This leads to my next question. How'd you like that for a smooth transition? That's sarcasm, this isn't at all smooth. Are all of these trials and tribulations from God? Are all of our trials, anything that challenges our daily attitude, mood, and especially and resulting in challenging our faith, are they all from God? We've heard a lot of talk It's from Satan. Satan's attacking me today. Inside, internally, I'm going, duh, that's his job. Should never respond that way, but when you read about what Satan's job is, in Revelations 12, it's to attack the people who believe in Jesus Christ for the rest of their existence until the second coming of Christ. That's in Revelations 12. But God has Satan as a dog on the leash. And though God is not in sin, has no sin, has never committed any sin, and tempts no one to sin, He does bring about these events. So my question again, are all these trials from God? Let's talk about the trials of Christ first in Acts 2, 22 and 23. And this is Peter speaking. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and sight that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That one there answers the question, did Satan do it or did God do it? The answer is yes. Yes. The hands of sinful men... Due to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Acts 4 27 and 28, again, the plight of Christ, Christ's trials. For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So the trials of Christ by God the Father who placed him on the cross for us so that we could be saved to bring God glory, Jesus went through trials. Now the trials of men and if Christ, why not we? Starting with the Old Testament, Isaiah 48.10, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I've tried you in the furnace of affliction. Job 23.10, but he knows the way that I take, this is Job speaking about God, He's tried me and I shall come out as gold. And most of you know that I could just say, read the book of Job, and we study that in detail and you know that that would present my entire case here today. Proverbs 17.3, the crucibles for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests hearts. Psalm 119, 75, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Or Isaiah 45, 7, which says, and actually beginning in verse 6, I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and I create darkness. I make well-being and I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all of these things. Uh, There's a couple of different translations for I make well-being and I create calamity. One of them is I make peace and I bring disaster. Another one is I make well-being and I create evil. Though we know God is not the author of sin, he does bring about these terrible trials for mankind. Hebrews 12, 5-7, citing Proverbs 3. My son... Sons, That wraps it up for me. Just that one right there says, if you're not being disciplined by God at some point, you can't be being saved by him. Turn to Amos in your Bibles, will you? Book of Amos in the Old Testament. Chapter 3. We're going to be reading verse 6 in just a moment. I'm going to read now aloud from Amos 3, chapter 6. Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? There's a good one as well. Plus, I wanted you guys to read your Bibles. So lastly and my final pointed question is how should the christian of today find joy in the midst of his or her trials? This is what we want to hear. This is this is what we want to do to bring ourselves up out of the dumps when we get hit. Believer, I say this I try to say this every sermon even though it's once every couple of months. We need to look to the scriptures. We need to look to the scriptures. How can we know if we're assured of our salvation let alone how to bring ourselves out of severe depression or tragedy if we don't know what God's Word says about who you are and what you can do with the Holy Spirit inside of you. We need the Scriptures to know what it is we should be believing. Today's passages in 1 Peter 8 and 9, we find joy in the fact that we love Him and He has provided for us what we will obtain at the end of our trials. The outcome of faith the salvation which is to be ours. We compare the weight of eternal glory, what you will receive, with today's pain and sorrow. That's the ultimate way that we find joy. We turn to passages such as Psalm 34, verse 19. I don't know if you got that far today, David, but Psalm 34 got thrown in my face four times this week different people exhorting me. I was reading with my dear sister and it just kept coming back. Thirty-four, nineteen. many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. There's how we find joy. We read that. And remember that that ultimate delivery doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be delivered from a disease here on earth, but rather you will be delivered unto no disease in your next life. Or John 16, which includes the promise from Jesus In me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Reading 1 Peter 1, 3 9, should allow you to find joy in the midst of your trials if you're born again. But if you don't have the strength to even go to the Bible, here's some suggestions for you ask for prayer. Ask for prayer. Prayers of a faithful person can do much. Be anxious for nothing and pray in every circumstance. Pray without ceasing. If you're in Christ and you're now exhorted to the fact that these trials are from God, you here in this room, you just got taught that if you'd never heard that before. Then you also know that he will see you through those trials also just taught to you. Seek a friend in Christ who knows what you're going through because they've been through it. Or worse, and they have prevailed in Christ. That is, they've been victorious in their spirit. Perhaps they're still sick. Should I not ask them? Well, keep your ears open. Maybe they're open to that if they're still sick. And they want to share their faith with you. I know the elders of this church got such an example of faith shared to them that we were humbled, we were speechless from this young woman with cancer last year. I went home exhorted and exalted. Seek their help so they can guide you through your afflictions with love and prayer. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves were comforted by God. When you go through trials, Linda and I have actually walked with couples where we teach them this right away. Someday it may be you on the other side of the couch, so to speak, and you're talking to us, your elders, or more than likely a constituent here in the church, somebody who's going through the same trial. And God calls upon you to comfort those people with the same comfort you received. You're an emissary for Christ right then. You are the counselor. You are their comforter. Christ inside you is the true comforter, but you are relaying his message. There's an exhortation for the person who's comforting the other person there too. If you listen carefully, be affectionate, season your speech with salt or perhaps remember the example of Job's friends who did not comfort him at all but rather tore him down as he was going through his trials so perhaps as Pastor Eric exhorted us when he was preaching out of Job you needn't speak at all maybe you just need to be there some arms to hold them they can cry you can cry with them we can't hold it back up here if you weep with them That's a sign of love. That's a sign that you are bearing their burden. Seek pastoral counseling. Someone to walk with you through the trial. We have four pastors here. You can seek ministerial counseling from a non-pastor. That's what we just mentioned. But seek pastoral counseling if, if you wish to do that. We most certainly want to do that with you. Just because we're preaching, hey, read the scriptures when you're going through trials. That's how to get out of it. We're not closing the door to pastoral counseling or to any ministerial counseling. We're suggesting it. The end result of all of this should be that you're directed to the scriptures, which counsels you to compare the weight of your current condition, your trials, with the joy that will be had at the coming of Jesus Christ. That is the end result. After you're over your wound, your severe wound that causes you to weep for months in some cases, you should be able to compare your trial with what's to come and say, I have joy. I found joy. Now I can turn and I can show my neighbor, my friend, my constituent in the church how to get through this There's one more group of persons we need to identify with today, and you need to hear this. It's also the lot of the unbeliever to go through trials and tribulations. There are things that happen to unbelievers that don't seem balanced. For instance, you might have an unbelieving friend who is wealthy Astute in the wisdom of the world, psychologically sound, good-looking, healthy, and lives a long life, one wife, honest, good, hard-working neighbor, but has never proclaimed the Christ. They could be an unbeliever, and they might never go through a physical trial until It's time for their last breath. That's their physical trial. That's their spiritual trial. The lot of the unbeliever is the same as the lot of the believer. They will also go through trials and tribulations also brought by God. So, to what end? To the end of gloominess, bondage, weeping, An eternity of no rest, separated from God because of your sin. And for the sake of kids, I'm not giving you some more physical descriptions of what hell a life apart from Christ would be like. It should be enough that you're apart from God. But for the unbeliever whose heart is hardened to the point where they don't even want to believe in God, all I have to do is ignore that and then I don't have to worry about heaven or hell. You know that's not true, believer. So the lot of the unbeliever is perishing. Eternal perishing. If you've never believed in Christ, today could be your day. You were born in sin. You inherited sin from the first man that ever created. You might be the person that sits in here today who doesn't believe this, that you inherited a sin. And that sin poisoned us. But that sin was also the tool that God used to disconnect us from his family. He cut us off. You need to be born again. God needs to create new life in you if you're the unbeliever, the scripture says. He does this by leading you to a person or persons who preach the message of the gospel to you. The gospel is the good news. The word even means good news. The bad news is that you're an unbeliever and you're born in sin. The scripture even says that everything you did while you were in unbelief was sin, even things you considered to be good deed. The gospel is the good news that God sent his son Jesus Christ to save you. That is to take the punishment that he promised for you, which is death. He took it in your place. And when Jesus did that, he destroyed the works of the devil in your heart, and he destroyed the works of the devil for the entire world, but he only called a few of us. Is that you? Are you here today with that? Even if you consider yourself to be mentally and physically healthy, emotionally healthy, your version of spiritually healthy, if you're in unbelief, none of this matters. As a matter of fact, it's one of Satan's great deceptions that you're mentally and physically and emotionally healthy and you've never proclaimed the Christ. You don't need a Christ. I don't need it. I don't need a Savior. So Not true. You have a God in heaven and earth. He is waiting to face you. You will face him no matter what, whether you ignore him your whole life or not. So, now, unbeliever, I've just preached the gospel to you. So, if you feel you have been moved towards a love of God through this message preached to you here today or by any other gospel message preached to you directly from the Bible by a preacher, by a friend, you reading the Bible, I have a friend here in this room who was saved by reading the Bible. Praise God when that happens. You just got preached to by Paul, Peter, John. It doesn't get any better than that. Come and see us after service if you feel you've been moved towards a love of God by this message or any other message. You need to be properly discipled, instructed as to what to do next. Every week... At Veritas, we celebrate the transforming work of the gospel message by taking communion together. It says in Scripture that every time we take bread and drink the cup together in his name, we proclaim the death and resurrection of our Christ, our Savior, until he comes again in glory. We're going to have leaders up here in a minute that will serve you. You come up the center aisle if you've never been here before. You receive the emblems, and then you go down the side aisles and take your seats and wait, and we'll take the emblems together we have a couple of instructions for you you may and we would love to have you take communion with us today if you are a member of a gospel preaching bible believing church such as this one even if you're here just visiting or say perhaps you know i I I talked about this last week. Somebody was moved. They had moved from somewhere else, and they were here looking for a church, and they were attending here regularly. Please come up and take communion with us if you are a baptized believer and member of a Bible-believing church. Let's pray together. Father God, we do praise you, we exalt your holy name, and we thank you for these words, Lord, these words of truth that hurt and then soothe that give us sorrow and rejoicing all in one, for that is the lot of the Christian believer. At the same time, oh God, as we grow older, let us realize this. And let us rejoice even in our trials, now that we're empowered to do that, through your holy word, the sword of the Spirit. I pray that the believer here has been properly exhorted And the unbeliever will believe. And as we gather now around your table, may we be blessed. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen.